This reminds me a bit of the weapons trade, where you'll have weapons manufacturers literally selling to both sides of a conflict, <laughs> knowing that, you know, two opposing forces will carry the same gun to shoot at each other, right? You have, you know, this OSINT tool becoming a weapon. It's almost like it's this kind of contemporary weapons trade, but it's instead of bullets and guns, you're selling surveillance and OSINT tools and phishing scams. Like it's 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 a totally different battlefield, but it's the same idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I think that's a really good point. And like the the munitions of all of this is is our personal data is the personal data of every internet user. <laughs> this is Cloak and Dagger, a podcast about OSINT, technology, and global conflict. I'm MJ Benias. podcast is powered by Sapper Labs Group. For more, visit www.sapperlabs.com. We were pursuing the work of an Indian journalist who was killed in 2017, who had been looking into questions of disinformation in India. The Luru police is now claiming a big breakthrough in the murder of senior journalist Gauri Lankesh, who was shot dead outside her house last evening by unidentified assailants. Gauri Lankesh was shot and killed in 2017 near her home by two assailants on a motorcycle. A few days before her death, she wrote an op-ed about India's disinformation problem, a sort of large-scale farming of fake news that promoted an extremist right-wing Hinduism. Imagine rooms of just people and computers just spinning disinformation, changing the news, posting fake content to social media, photoshopping photos and editing videos, trolling any opposition with armies of bot accounts. This was big business. And our thought was, you know, she was looking at disinformation on a very local scale in, in Bangalore, India. We're going to try to investigate sort of the market for, for disinformation mercenaries around the world. My name is Phineas Rukert. I'm a journalist at Forbidden Stories, and to very briefly sum up what Forbidden Stories is, we're a consortium of international journalists whose mission is to pursue the work of journalists who are threatened or killed around the world. Lankesh's death sparked something in Phineas. Disinformation was now a weapon. It was crafted to not only hide the truth, but to call truth itself into question. Phineas began to chase down stories of international disinformation mercenaries, people who could be hired to create it. The death of a journalist lit a fire for Phineas and showed him a path not to India, but into South America, and moreover, into the dark side of open source intelligence itself. One of the parts of that investigation was looking at the work of a Guatemalan journalist who had been threatened for reporting on a, on a big mine in Guatemala. So this big mining conglomerate named Solway Group, they're based in Switzerland, but operated mainly by Russian and Estonian citizens, they opened this nickel mine in El Astor in Guatemala. And the local people in the area, basically farmers and fishermen, they start protesting it. They had concerns over the environmental impact, and this mine was basically dumping chemicals and just toxic runoff into the nearby lake. A lake that they used for fishing and farming and, well, everything. 
So it doesn't take long before riot police show up at this protest, and they try to break it up. And basically, they just start shooting, and a local fisherman was killed by police. Well, there was a journalist at the protest, and his name was Carlos Shock, and he snapped several photos of the killing just as it happened, and even records videos of the aftermath. So he writes it up, and publishes the photos, and his life basically spins out of control. The government goes after him. They break into his house, and they ransack it. They, they threaten his life, and basically, he has to flee. So Forbidden Stories picks up his work. Uh, this seems like it's very unrelated, but it will come around. Um, <laughs> after we after we pursued his work, um, Forbidden Stories was contacted by, by a hacker uh, going by the name of Guacamaya. Guacamaya. They're an international group of hackers who operate mainly in Central and South America. They've hacked into oil and mining companies. They've hacked militaries and governments. And they do leak a lot of information to the press. So Guacamaya sends this massive file of data to Forbidden Stories and to Shock. They basically hacked into Solway Group and into various databases of the Guatemalan government. Turns out the authorities there had dossiers on tons of journalists, Shock included. And as for the mining conglomerate, well, they found that they hid scientific studies on the environmental impact of their mine and how they basically bribed Guatemalan authorities to buy their loyalty and, and how they had plans to displace families in the area. This was a big story, and it's still developing. Shock is facing criminal charges in Guatemala, with authorities claiming that he incited violence by attacking police. Local and international human rights groups call this absurd and a farce. So, you know, a few months later, we get another um, another message we saying essentially we have more documents for you from not just you know uh, not just the, the this particular mine but from different militaries and different um, different extractive industries in Latin America. Um, so that was uh, that hack included uh, the armed forces of Colombia, Colombian the Colombian military. Right. So I'm a journalist, and this actually has a massive red flag. Colombia's track record for how it treats its journalists isn't very good. It was a known fact in Colombia, and this is this was actually reported by other journalists well before us, uh, local journalists in Colombia at a, at, a, at a newspaper or magazine called Revista Semana. Um, this, in 2020, they reported that the the Colombian military had a a essentially dossier dossiers on journalists uh, and activists that they had gotten using an open source tool. And there was a, you know, a list, essentially a list of journalists who had been, if, if not spied on, then at least profiled using, using an OSINT tool. Um, that OSINT tool was called Voyager Analytics, which is sold by the, the company Voyager Labs. Yeah, I remember this. This was a pretty big story. It was in 2020. The Colombian military basically got busted for buying this off-the-shelf OSINT tool from Voyager. And immediately, they began compiling tons of data on local journalists and really anyone that it thought might have connections to anti-government protests. So I looked into, into Voyager Labs, and I started to see that it wasn't just Voyager Labs, but it was actually a bunch of different companies that around the same time were all pitching and demoing their OSINT tools to the Colombian military. And I think the moment when I realized that there's an interesting story there is when I realized that even despite this scandal, even despite the the, the huge media response to the what was called the, the secret fi files, the Colombian military meets with the same company, 
uh, Voyager Labs in 2022. So my thought was, you know, initially there's 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 no nothing has changed. Um, we can't say that you know they've again used these tools in that way against journalists, but we can say that even after this whole scandal erupted, they're meeting with the same companies. Oh, okay. So, so even after the Colombian government has egg all over its face and Voyager Labs is outed, two years later, in 2022, the Colombian military still meets with them and several other commercial OSINT firms for a fresh round of sales pitches. This is this is a known quantity. We know that this company has uh, sold at some point to the Colombian military a tool that could that was then used by them to to spy on to to profile journalists. So Phineas begins to dig into these leaked files. As it turns out, seven companies made sales calls to pitch their OSINT software. Details as to what exactly was being sold is a bit of a mystery, but one sales pamphlet caught his eye. The OSINT services they were offering, well, this was not the usual open source data gathering journalists like him were used to. The other brochure uh, says that it's, it just says, it has, it has a title, OSINT V something something, you know, like a, a series of numbers. Um, and so I clicked on this, I clicked on this, uh, document, I opened it and I looked through it. It's a, it's a 93 page document. Um, and the reason I decided to focus on this company is because what they're offering goes well beyond what I, as a journalist had thought of as OSINT. Uh, this wasn't just publicly available information. So Phineas looks over the cover letter on the document and the company name reads, it says, uh, unlocking cyberspace. So he does what any journalist would do. He runs a Google search and it immediately pops up. An OSINT intelligence as a service provider based in Singapore called S2T, unlocking cyberspace. I wanted to, you know, essentially make sure that this was indeed the the right company, you know, because I, of course, you know, I see, you know, unlocking cyberspace in the name of the cover letter, essentially. It's the first company that comes up. Um, but then I actually myself had to do a fair amount of OSINT to to essentially match this uh, document to the company. According to reporting by Phineas at Forbidden Stories, S2T says that they have dozens of clients and they hire ex-intelligence officials from around the world. In the article, a former S2T employee told Forbidden Stories that the company does often pitch, and I quote, active intelligence gathering tactics, end quote, to potential clients. So, using a reseller, a pitch was presented to the Colombian military. On the cover letter, S2T says that its tools help to fight malicious groups, including, and I quote, terrorists, cyber criminals, and anti-government activists. You know, this, this raises some big questions. Terrorism and cybercrime, okay, that I get, but anti-government activists? Uh, that is one vague target group, isn't it? Um, so you actually find that in a couple of instances, activists are mentioned. There's a, prof a target profile of a former journalist in Israel. Uh, and that was the moment in which we as Forbidden Stories said, this is something that we should do, that we, that we should investigate. The brochure literally had a target profile of an Israeli journalist. So, so, so two years after the Colombian military gets slammed for monitoring journalists, and OSINT Company's pitch deck to the Colombian military included a journalist's profile? What? You don't really know what's actually being sold. You don't know what's actually possible. And of course, we have to take into account that this is a marketing brochure. So perhaps some of these things that they say they can do 
or just think that they say they can do it, not actually capacities that are, are legitimate. Um, but I think the fact of just, you know, how, uh, how expansive this was, how, uh, how powerful it was, and, and the fact that there was a number of sort of little clues that this, that they weren't, they didn't, the company didn't have a problem with, with pitching this as a tool that could be used against activists or against journalists. Okay, so what exactly was the brochure saying they could do? They were saying, we can essentially create uh, a, a, an automated phishing uh, email campaign uh, to get into this person's accounts. Or we can do the same thing with social media. It showed how you could use massive uh, advertising databases to geolocate the, the, the targets in real time. Uh, looking through this, and, and, and I think what was especially interesting is that it's all laid out so clearly. And a lot of times this, this, this market is very uh, opaque. Uh, the, another thing that really shocked me is that they also have the ability to create, they essentially use uh, a mobile phone that's not connected to any sort of mobile network to then um, enter into contact with with targets uh, to then presumably send them a phishing email or or get additional information. Um, so it's it's not just like you know me as a journalist going on Twitter and looking through looking through hashtags or or, or even googling something or even paying for access to like a specific database of email addresses or something like that. Uh, it's 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 much it goes much further than that. Okay, this leads kind of something to a little more philosophical here. I mean, when we think about OSINT, I, I've got to follow up after this. But when we think about OSINT, like what does that mean? And then what is like this version of OSINT that is being sold? I mean, it, to you, is it OSINT anymore, or are we now treading into some other waters here? Yeah, yeah, no, it's a good question. So. Like I said at the you know beginning of our chat, I am not an OSINT expert. I am a journalist. Uh, I use OSINT. Uh, I had a very, you know, I had I had a pretty clear, I think, a, opinion and perspective on what o OSINT is um, before doing this, which is you know, the use of publicly available information to to create an investigation into something, um, and 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 so. I started to speak as well, of course, once I, you know, once I started to look into this brochure, I also started to speak to experts who essentially confirmed that, you know, it's important. I think the terminology is quite important, um, you know, to the OSINT is using publicly available information to to create either a, as a journalist sort of an investigation, maybe as an investigator to create a target profile of someone. And that's normal. And then it's every intelligence agency and police agency, I think, uses OSINT. Um, that's not, it's, it's not a problem. It's, it's in fact, very good in many cases. Um, where this kind of goes somewhere else, and, and I think what it's actually called is, is data fusion. So it's not just, um, it's not just publicly available information. There's also going to be access to types of sources of information that only intelligence agencies, for example, could have. Or it's going to use tactics that only intelligence agencies could 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 do. If I, as a journalist, really wanted to get information about some sort of some sort of bad guy or or corrupt individual that I was investigating, even if I wanted to, and I think you know, 
ethically, this would, would, would not be even a question that I would ask because it's not possible. But even if I wanted to hack, uh, you know, into the email of some sort of corrupt business person to then get their internal files, uh, as a journalist, I don't have that capacity. Um, whereas in this tool, you can see that that is one thing that they're offering. This raises a lot of questions. I mean, who has the ultimate responsibility here? Do commercial OSINT firms have a duty to ensure their tools aren't sold to governments with a track record for spying on journalists and civilians? Or is this just a free-for-all and it's up to the government to behave ethically? I mean, OSINT has always been this tool for good. Researchers, analysts, and journalists use OSINT to track human rights abuses and convict war criminals. It's used to track down terrorist groups who kill innocents. It's used to track fraud. It's solved murder cases. So is this even OSINT anymore? Or some perverse, dark, mirror universe version of it? I don't think it's my place to say what these companies' due diligence should be. Um, I think... Generally speaking, there's a huge lack of regulation of this market, of this sort of targeted uh, open source intelligence market. Uh, it's very unclear, um, you know, even very basic questions that I'm not an expert on again, but, you know, is this, should this be sold as, as a tech tool? Should this be sold as a weapon? Wait, a weapon? Like OSINT as a weapon? And they, they bring up three examples, um, essentially... One of, them is, one of them is terrorists, the other is hackers, and the third is anti-government activists. They use the term anti-government activists. And this is in the cover letter, essentially. So there, you know, there's essentially a, an admission that, at least in the eyes of this, this uh, pitch, there's, there's no problem with, uh, with using this tool against anti-government protesters. I'm sure probably if you spoke to them, they would say, well, we mean like violent you know, far left anarchists who are smashing up banks and, and destroying buildings. Um, but I think even just, you know, rhetoric is important when, when, when you're looking at how, you, how you're marketing anything. Uh, and when you're, especially when you're marketing a tool that's so, so invasive and so powerful, it's going to change whether the, the amount of regulation you need to have on it. So if you're selling it as a weapon, I think those standards are going to be a lot higher. So it's, in order to sell this as a weapon, you need to prove that it won't be used against journalists, prove that it won't be used against activists, prove that there's some sort of audit trail that can then be you know, uh, shared with public institutions or something like that. Um, so I think there needs to be at least a discussion on, on what these tools actually are and what they're being sold as. And I'm hoping at least that our reporting and other reporting by other journalists will, will, will lead to that conversation happening. This reminds me a bit of the weapons trade, where you'll have weapons manufacturers literally selling to both sides of a conflict, <laughs> knowing that, you know, two opposing forces will carry the same gun to shoot at each other, right? You have, you know, this OSINT tool becoming a weapon. It's almost like it's this kind of contemporary weapons trade, but it's instead of bullets and guns you're selling surveillance and osint tools and phishing scams like it's 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 a totally different battlefield but it's the same idea mm -hmm. yeah and i i think that's a really good point and like the the munitions of all of this is is our personal data is the personal data of every internet user <laughs> the worst part is that this isn't some isolated incident 
according to reporting by Forbidden Stories and Haaretz, as well as many other news agencies, countries like Bangladesh, Israel, India, Turkey, and Russia have been utilizing surveillance and OSINT for hire to target journalists and activists for years now. And these tools go well beyond OSINT. They can install malware on your devices, access your webcam, and even monitor friends and family via social media. OSINT has at least always to me, been used to defend human rights or bring bad guys to justice. I suppose like any tool or weapon, it can also be used to hurt innocent people and attack the truth. Thank you to Phineas Ruckert for coming on today's episode of Cloak and Dagger, as well as the team at Forbidden Stories for all the hard work they do. You can find the links to the articles as well as Phineas's work in the show notes. For more news, information, and content regarding OSINT, InfoSec, cybersecurity, and defense, make sure you visit our website, www.cloakanddagger.blog. And seeing as this is a brand new podcast, it really helps if you subscribe, rate, and review this show. You can tell your friends about it or share it on your socials. Go talk about it loudly in a public place. Whatever, it all helps. <laughs> Thanks very much. I'm MJ Benias. This is Cloak and Dagger. I appreciate you being here, and we'll see you here next time.